Go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. We are in God's epic story through creation, the fall. Uh, up to this point, we've covered him. The best guess we have is about 2,500 years of human history already up to this point in God's epic story. And we find ourselves in Exodus 2 around, just if you're looking at a history timeline, we're at about 1500 Biff was sold into slavery by his brothers, probably around 1900 BC. He ended up in Egypt and brought his family there, and they've been there for 400 years, growing and prospering and multiplying until uh, they are enslaved there by a king of Egypt who didn't remember Joseph. So that's kind of where we find ourselves. We're actually right near the end of chapter 2. So beginning in verse 2, verse 23, this is God's Exodus tonight. It says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered. Look at what he remembered. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God made a in Genesis with Abraham. And you told Abraham this, Genesis 15, that God, this is Genesis 15, 13, about his descent to Abram. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. So God told Abraham exactly what was going to happen long before the covenant passed from one generation to the next. And now in Exodus, that transitions the story from one family having this covenant to the most important redemptive act in the old through the story of the Exodus. So there's several things as, as we're epic story, story, we're learning about God, we're learning about, and there's several things. It's all one story, one continued story in the book of Exodus. Point number one, he is the God who saves. The God who saves. Genesis ends with the death of Joseph in Egypt with his family. And they multiply over hundreds of years, but then the kings rose up of Egypt who didn't know Jemaris. And what happened in our text is we see the people begin to cry out to God. And God hears their cry, and what does he remember? He remembers the promise he made to Abraham. He made him a promise. God cares about his people. He had called these people. He had made a covenant, a promise to them, and he answers their call. Reminded me of a time in high school. I think I've told this story before, but I know you guys love hearing about all my depravity when I was young, so I'll tell this one again. Uh, This was a time in high school 
where I got arrested. So I, I am, we were gonna do like an A-team game one week, like which A-team member got arrested? In St. Louis, I lived in St. Louis, Missouri at the time. I was a sophomore in high school. I didn't have my driver's license. My best friend did. And he had a uh, Ford Escort wagon, okay. Uh, it was a really nice car at that time. And we had, I can't remember exactly, it was either eight or nine people in this Ford Escort wagon. And we were going around, this is probably a political year, because we were going around stealing all the political signs from around town. And we were stacking them in the back of the wagon until we had his back just filled with political signs. And what we were thinking is, we're gonna go and put them in someone's yard, one of our friends that we didn't like as much as their other friends. So we were gonna put all these signs, hilarious, great idea, fun night, until we got pulled over. Not only were we stealing signs, which we didn't know that was illegal, that is illegal, uh, but we were out past curfew. So St. Louis has a curfew. So there was like eight of us in a car filled with stolen signs out past curfew, and they arrested us and took us down to the police station. And I had to, my parents were already, my mom and dad, this is a humiliating experience. Hey mom, um, we're already asleep, so they wake up. Did you, uh, did you watch ER tonight? Uh-huh. Hey, how are you doing? small talk. Hey, by the way, could you swing on by the police station and pick me up real quick? You know, I got arrested tonight. Uh, and my parents came and got me. They weren't happy about it, but they answered the call and they came. And I thought that it's kind of like, who, who are you going to call on? You know, when, when something bad happens, who will come? When, who's the person to get me? And we see in our text that when, when people, when God's people call on God, when they're in trouble, and, and they're being oppressed by these Egyptians and they need help. They call out to God and he comes. He rescues them from prison. He cares for his people. It's always a, to God. You're not an inconvenience to him. He loves answering our prayers. And God's people call out to him and God knows his people. It's what it says in our text. He, he, he saw them and he knew them. He knew what was going on. He had told Abraham all about it and how he rescues them, how God rescues his people, how he saves them is miraculous. I mean, it's, it's a fun read because there's no other section of scripture with such a concentration of divine power outside of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, you're going to read about him. That's the biggest concentration of divine power. But outside of that, when God saves his people, and all the book I have time for tonight is like a 30,000 foot flyover. So we're just looking at the landscape. We can't get into the details. And so I do want to encourage you this month to read the book of Exodus, okay? So this is challenge number two in our God's epics. I challenge you guys to read the book of Exodus. It's 40 chapters by the next relay. So I want to ask you once again, who's in to read Exodus by the next relay? This is called peer pressure right now, and I love it. So <laughs> it's good. It's a good kind. Okay, next month, read the book of Exodus. It's, it's 40 chapters. And here's what you're going to save his people is miraculous. It's miraculous. I mean, how miraculous. Because miraculous. The birth of Moses ordered all the sons to be killed. And Moses was hidden and his life was saved. God speaking to Moses from the burning bush was miraculous. 
And God tells him to go and to deliver his people with these powerful signs. And that's what you're going to read about. So you're going to read about, you know, the Nile turned that so many times. And I just kind of thought about it this week. Blood is really gross. Is anyone in here not like blood? I am not a blood fan. Like if I have to get like blood taken, I look away. And every time they say, are you okay? I said, yes, please don't make me look. You know, blood is gross. But it's an, it's an important part of God's epic story we're going to see. He turned the Nile into any liquid he wanted to. I thought about this. What if he turned it into a river of milk? You know, I'll turn the, the Nile into milk. I'm lactose intolerant, so that's equally as gross as blood. Milk is like disgusting to me. Or like a river of coffee, that would be nice. Or like a river of Mountain Dew, you know? Like they'd be swimming in it, like just slurping Mountain Dew. Massive river turned to blood. We see the plague of frogs and gnats and flies. We see livestock die. The boils breaking out, sores on all the people and animals. Hail destroying everything. Locusts devouring everything. Darkness engulfing everything. Plague after plague and scale. You will read miraculous things happening on a is the Passover. We'll read about. And the last plague, significant Passover which is a story. God said that he was going to come into their midst to judge them. And he told his people, the people of God, to take the the blood of a spotless lamb and to put it over their doorposts, to spread the blood on the doorposts of their homes. And this is what Exodus 12, 13 says. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I to destroy you went over. And no plague will befall Egypt. And you remember it when I strike down all the firstborn. And at midnight, God's just, we read these stories, just think about that. The whole land, every firstborn person and animal, everything was just dead by God's judgment in an instant. There's a massive suffering took place. And this, this is how God saved his people by judging Egypt. Story about a college student asking him the question, why do Christians refer to conversion? So when someone's converted, they're becoming a Christian. He said, why do Christians refer to conversion as getting saved? Saved from what? And, and, and R.C. Sproul said, that's one said to you. Christians say they're saved. Saved from what? How would you answer that? How would you answer that? Most of us would probably say, you know, well, we're saved from sin or we're saved from hell, which is not untrue. Hell is experiencing wrath that God saves us from. So what we see, what we're beginning to learn in God's epic story is God saves us from himself. This is what we see in this Passover. God's judgment is coming to Egypt. God is coming into their midst. The presence of God is coming. The blood of the need to be saved from it. From God's, the lamb that's, and already I hope you're seeing judgment story god began things 1500 years before christ that are pointing us to the gospel of jesus christ 
because we see the same story again in the cross of Jesus Christ where the blood of God's spotless lamb, his own blood was shed so that God's judgment, and we just see, we see in the story God's judgment is coming for sin. And just as God's wrath passed over the Israelites when he saw the blood on the doorpost, when God looks at us and he sees Christ's blood over us, his wrath passes over us as well. God who saves. And just, it's a simple question, but are you saved? Are you saved? Are you saved from God's judgment? Have you been covered in the blood of Christ? Are you safe when God comes to judge sins? Is the blood of Christ over? No. Well, you know if you've cried out to God for forgiveness. If you've said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I deserve your judgment. When you come to judge, I'm one of the guilty ones. And I don't want to, I don't want to be judged by you. I want to be forgiven. Please forgive me in Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus' blood and trust in Christ my sins. And when you confess your sin by the blood of Christ and God, that's how you know passes over you. He is the God, God's judge. He began doing this very early in the story. He is the God who saves. The second thing we see about God in Exodus, point number two. He is the God who decides. He's the God who saves, and he's the God who decides. In God's epic story, God decides what is right and wrong. It's a very simple sentence. God decides what is right and wrong, but it's very controversial today. We, we, we see this is true in God being our creator. Of course, he decides, but we especially see that as God gathers them his law. He reveals to them, here is what's right and here is what's wrong for you to do. It's a really important part of God's epic story because our society is so opposed to rules and especially God's rule. So we, we've talked about this before, but if you're new, we because relativism is a worldview that says everyone gets to decide for themselves what is right and wrong. So I decide if this is right or wrong. It's based on my feelings. It's based about what I love and what I prefer. I make the decision. Well, that's not true in God's epic story. In God's epic story, God, when he gathers his people, he's what is right and wrong. It's a law. And I just want to focus on one commandment of his law, the first commandment. This is Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the other gods before me. This is a constant refrain in the Bible. God constantly demands our allegiance to him as God. So we are to, we're to worship him alone. We are to listen to him. We are to obey him. We are to put nothing else in front of God as supreme. And if you miss the first command to have God, nothing else, God said above everything else, then you're gonna miss, you're gonna question what it says. Because you're quite gonna say, okay, who says? When you're told what's right and wrong, who tells me that? It reminded me of uh, when I was growing up. It's kind of like 
when your siblings tell you to do something, and maybe you guys don't do this because I, I was more depraved than the rest of you. I've, I figured that out by now. But growing up, if, if my brother or sister, who are both older than me, they came to me and they said, Michael, yes, you know, I'll keep my room as messy as I want. Thank you very much. I think it's fine. You know, there's things moving on the floor, but it's fine. Don't worry about it. But if my brother and sister came to me and said, Michael, mom says you need to clean your room. That had a little bit of a different authority with me when mom said it, or dad says you have to shin today. Who says? Who are you to tell me what I'm doing is wrong? Who are you to judge me? Who says? The problem with relativism is because when we decide what's right and wrong, before we've disobeyed any other man, we have put something more supreme in our life than God. We've made ourselves supreme. I've made my desires and my preferences supreme over God. And, and in, the, in God's epic story, it's God who decides. And I just want to equip you guys. I want to keep saying this. I've said this over and over. But I want to equip you to, who are you to tell me? When, when you're asked that question, who do you think? God says, tell me what's right and wrong. I just want you to matter who I am. I don't have authority over you. But God says these things. I want you to think like that because it's so confusing. And people do these linguistic gymnastics with their arguments and they try to make it sound holy. And through all the confusion and, and the, the, the fog that they create with their words, it's like a, just a straight headlight cutting through it. God says it's very clear, God says this, God decides. And you can say things like, you know, I think, I think God decides those things. He's the one who made right and wrong for us, the right to decide what. And especially as for us, he is the Lord. We have, all have this perspective, God decides as Christians. Just like Exodus 20, I'm the Lord your God, I saved you. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. Another accusation against God's rule is that God gives commands just to punish us. This is a popular belief out there. People think, you know, God's just saying these things or people made these things not true. This is what D.A. Carson says. He says, within the Bible's storyline, God's epic story, we discover that God's law is actually bound up with the joyous freedom of life lived under the God who made us. When God gives us, it's to show us what's right and wrong. All these commands we have in God's word in the New Testament help us. And we're gonna get into a little bit later on to distinguish between the different laws and, and the civil laws and the ceremonial laws and the moral laws. But I just want you to have this perspective. God decides. He says what's right and wrong and it's for our good. Three, the third thing we see about God in Exodus, he's the God who draws near. He's the God who draws near. We're learning about who God is. He is the God who saves. We see this in the cross. He is the God who decides, who gives us his law and tells us right from wrong. And he is the God, God who saves all these miracles. You read through Exodus, 
You're going to read, you're going to be, read about the miracles in the beginning and rescue. He gives them the law and calls them to Mount Sinai, the God who decides, mighty and majestic God is. And then you're going to see he's the God who draws near. Because after giving them his law, God instructs them to build a tabernacle. Okay, this, when the first time I read the Bible, I was so confused by many chapter after chapter after chapter about a tabernacle, a tent, a invertible tent. It's like a big tent, basically, that they would move, the Israelites, as they were moving through the wilderness, they would move this tent from place to place. Wherever they would go, they would set up their camps in a circle, and they would put this tent, the tabernacle, in the middle of it. Just picture, picture like a bicycle wheel, kind of. That would have been where the tabernacle was. And it was always a reminder that God was at the center of everything they did. So every time they set up their camp, they set up their tent, and they were going to live there for a while, they would point it and see the middle of everything we're doing is the tabernacle of God. God is the center. Because with his people. That's why it was so important. So you're going to read in the second half of Exodus, tons of instructions. Every detail of the tabernacle, the ark and the walls and the court and the lampstands and the priestly garments and details about what fabric to use for the garments and how they are to be made. You know, after centuries, just, just think about it. Egyptians build palace of slavery, monuments, the tabernacles and home Hebrews first building project it was a pinnacle became for God to dwell among them and it kind of teaches us in the book of Exodus it teaches us that the purpose of redemption the reason God saves them is for relationship to know their God God say they will be with God. That's our goal. That's why God saves us. Salvation, when you become a Christian, that's not the end of the journey. That's the beginning. That's when life truly starts, and that's when you have a relationship with him. That's why God saves us to have a relationship with God's presence. And this is so important when we think about this, because we presence being in their midst. Why should God with age? It's just a time where everything is online and very rarely, I mean, tonight we're in each other's presence, but so often we're doing things, but we're not actually in the presence of other people. Presence matters to God. I was thinking about this with the, um, we watched a video on this. I don't want to describe it too much. Who's seen the new Apple Vision Pro? Okay, so maybe, maybe a quarter of you. So the new Apple Vision Pro, they're, they're like VR goggles. It's basically a whole computer that you strap onto your face in these goggles. It's really Ready Player One has come into our age today. And in the goggles, so we watch this whole video with this goggles and you stand in like anywhere, I guess. You don't have to have a desk or anything. And you like pinch your fingers and it does thing. It opens apps and you can swipe in front of you and the people looking at you don't see anything so they just see you doing this motion and like throwing things and pinching things. And, but in these goggles, you have all these screens open, okay? So they, these are the new Apple Vision Pro, but what kind of free, when somebody puts them on, you can see their eyes except the, it's a screen on the inside, so it's not really their eyes. It's like a picture of their eyes put on a screen on the outside of the goggles, and it looks really freaky. I looked at them, and I thought, you know, you can't, you can't substitute. You're looking around, and you eyes. 
there's just like, it just doesn't look, uh, it's, it's a screen. You think you're looking at them, but you're really not. Just me realize you can't, you can't be of their eyes. And it's just being in someone's presence. I mean, being online, communicating online, texting, you know, chatting, all these things, just, you can't substitute being with someone, looking at them, seeing their facial expressions, really looking into their eyes. Something so powerful about presence. And there's something powerful in Exodus about God's tabernacles in the middle. It actually becomes a terrifying thing when they sin against God. His presence does. His presence is powerful. And I love how Exodus ends when they finish building the tabernacle. This is what it says in Exodus chapter 40 at the end, verses 33 through 35. It says, so Moses finished, they put the tabernacle up, Moses finished the work, and then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of us because it's God's presence is in their midst. And I just love this idea that wherever they went, they packed up the tabernacle, the Levites, and they carried it. And when they set up their camp, they put it in their midst and it was God's presence with them wherever they went. God's presence is such an important theme in God's scripture. Some people would say it's the, it's the goal of presence. In the beginning, because really the Bible begins even we were in his presence. Beginning was God, and he made, we're with their God in his place. And it ends in Revelation, once again, with God's people being in the presence of God. We sang about it tonight, when we see his face, in the presence of God. Such an important theme of scripture. And so another question for you tonight, do you know God? Do you have a relationship with God? That's the goal of salvation, that we would know our God, that we would have a relationship with him. Do you pray to God? Do you, do you share with God things you're in? And, and do you pray and, and, and things about your friends and your family near to God? Because pray to him. Do you draw that if we draw near to God? Because there's this promise we have to us. And there's some amazing scriptures in the New Testament talking about the tabernacle and the presence of God. Because you know there's not a tabernacle anymore. And the reason is because God's presence is inside of us by the Spirit of God. It's really amazing to think about. You know, when you think about Exodus and the cloud filling the tent, and then it says, and John came in the form of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus left and went to go be with the Father, he said, I'm going to send the Spirit, and now you are going to be the temple the tabernacle of God, and my presence is going to be with you. What a, what a promise. The presence, the glory of God filling us, his, his nearness, but him actually being with us. That's quite a promise scripture has, and you can experience that. You can know God. You can talk to him. You, you can hear from him through his word and by his spirit. Do you know God? I want to finish with this story. But, uh, this is John Patton. It's specific, and I'll kind of set up this quote because in his bi biography, 
there's this unforgettable scene where he is getting serious opposition because he's sharing the gospel and, and, and the people begin opposing him and they're talking about murdering him and killing him. And he has this one good friend who's a faithful friend and he tells John Patton, you need to run. John Patton, he says, the people are coming and they're gonna murder him all night long. He runs and he climbs to this and this is what he says. He's sitting in this tree, into the tree, and was left there alone in the bush. The hours I spent there live all before me as if it were but of yesterday. I heard the frequent discharge of muskets and the yells of the savages. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe in the arms of did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly to my soul than when the moonlight flickered among these chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus. Alone, yet not alone. The grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. It's a man who knows God. And it's just, isn't it just this promise? God's presence draws near to us. You can know and you. You can have the sense of a spiritual presence. You can draw near to him. He can speak more soothingly to your soul. You know, these are the promises of God. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He is the God who saves. He is the God who decides. And he God's epic story to learn all is near. And it's so good this God is. And we're going to talk about this, learn about in our discussion time. So let me pray for you a little bit into a time of discussion.